When you live to be 105 years old, you've got a lot to say, and Edith Renfro Smith is no exception. Today, we talk with the 1937 grad, the first African American woman to graduate from Grinnell. We could take it slowly, or we could get insane. No one ever got anywhere by playing it safe. This is All Things Grinnell. I'm your host, Ben Benversi. On today's show, we're talking to Edith Renfro Smith the first African-American woman to graduate from the college, from the class of 1937, about her family's history, growing up in the town of Grinnell, and the secret to living to 105 years old. The journey of a Grinnellian superager, coming up next, after I remind you that the information and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not represent the views of Grinnell College. Edith Renfro-Smith was born in Grinnell, Iowa on July 14, 1914, the fifth of six children of Lee and Eva Renfro, one of the only African-American families in Grinnell at the time. But her story begins long before that. On her mother's side, Edith's grandfather, George Craig, was an escaped slave who later settled in Grinnell and worked as a barber. Like so many freed slaves and their children, the Renfro family understood the power of education. From the outset, Education was the priority in the household. They sent all their kids to college, and all the children worked to support each other's education. Edith ended up being the only one to attend Grinnell College, and she graduated in 1937 with a major in psychology and minor in economics and history. After graduating, Edith worked for the YWCA, the University of Chicago, the state of Illinois, the city of Chicago, and then as a public school teacher in Chicago for over 20 years. And that's where she resides now where she's continued to volunteer for the Art Institute and Goodwill. I sat down to talk with Edith before commencement this past May, when she received an honorary degree from the college, and she took me back to what it was like growing up in Grinnell in the 1920s. I had always lived at 411 First Avenue uh-huh. and went to Davis School. Elementary, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and I went to the middle school, yeah. and then went to high school, uh-huh. and then went to the college. Yeah. So you see, my whole life yeah. is spent here. Is here in this town. Yeah. You know they had the brand apartment buildings? Yeah. Well, my brother had to work to mm-hmm. help because there was no money. And so he cleaned the, uh, you know, stairways. In of the, the brand. Brand apartments. And my mother said, my son is not going to be a janitor. How she did it, I don't know. But she sent him at 13 to Hampton Institute. Uh-huh. He never came back. And uh, so that was the last time I saw my brother until he was, he'd been married because uh-huh. he never came back. To really? <laughs> and everybody in the family helped each other to yeah. get through school yeah. because that was the aim. Everyone had to have an education. If you had an education, no one could take the education away from yeah. you. Where do you think that value of education that your parents had and then that got dispersed to all of you children? Because you all went on to college, not all to yeah. Grinnell no, necessarily. Not much, but... No, uh, I'm the only one that wanted to go to Grinnell. Really? And my sister had moved, had worked for the president of Grinnell College. His name was Nolan. Yep. And 
his wife wanted my sister to go to Fisk. Okay. So they did it to get her to go to Fisk. Uh -huh. But when she went to Fisk, she was not used to prejudice. Hmm. It was a different kind of prejudice. This were, these were black people who did not like people who were dark. Hmm. And she was, she was that guy. So, huh. so she had a nervous, nervous breakdown. Really? And had to come home. And in the meantime, uh, my sister, who was next to her, who was two years younger than she, uh, was working in Newton for the family. And she worked. They were all of them worked in service. My sister, the oldest one, worked for the Ennis family, who had the first electric car. <laughs> even now. And uh, but but they all went to high school. Uh -huh. Everybody had to go to high school. Everybody had to go to school. Uh -huh. They had to work, but they had to go to high school too. Yeah. So all the all the all the older ones finished Grinnell. Yeah. Uh, well, mm -hmm. all, all six of us finished Cornell uh -huh. High School. Yeah. And uh, we just we just all had to go to school. Yeah. And we you all had, had to, to work. School. Yeah. And uh, my mother was insistent that we had things. For instance, I worked for the for the Needles, and uh, and I worked for the Swishers, and the Swishers had the upscale dress shop. In Grinnell, ah. and it was right between the Lincoln, I mean the Smith Funeral Home, and the Manor. That's where their house was. Uh -huh. That house is gone now. Okay. And I just wore so stiff, down hands and knees, <laughs> and that was for three hours. And then I worked for another uh, uh, woman, uh, Northwest Street. She was right at Tenth Avenue, and for three hours. That was my music lesson. Uh, and when she didn't want me anymore, then that's when I worked for Mrs. Needham, who was a court reporter. And uh, so I could get my, still get my music lessons. Uh -huh. <laughs> so why do you think your parents were, were so keen on all of you kids Well, my mother was always interested, because when she had been, she had, when she finished high school, I mean, whatever school they had, uh, she went down, that was when she went down south as a nanny, mm -hmm. she had just finished eighth grade. Wow. And so she, she just, and books were so important to her. Mm. And she uh, always read and taught, and my mother was a great talker and a great storyteller. And she talked all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so it was great. See, we always had a home. Mm -hmm. Uh, my father always put in a big garden. My mother canned everything in the garden that she could. And every March, she bought 55 chickens. So, and you know how cold it was in Iowa. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and she had a, in the dining room, we had a little alcove just about, you know, about to there. Yeah, and, yeah. and it wasn't very wide. And we had to put papers down little chicks because they couldn't be outside. Uh -huh. But see, by the time they feathered out, they could put them outdoors. Uh -huh. Yeah, those chickens would not have survived this <laughs> Oh, no, no. But she saw to it that they, uh -huh. that they were ready to eat uh -huh. by July the 4th. Okay. So what was it like growing up in, in Grinnell back then, specifically being one of just 
a handful of African Americans in Grinnell. Were there any other families in town? Uh, if they were, they didn't have children. Okay. Uh, there was a couple who lived by the lake. Okay. You know that not Lake Nyanza. Yeah. They lived down there, and then there was another family that lived uh, just off the railroad track in Center Street. Okay. That first house, but you see. When Mama had children, nobody was here with children. Mm. And then later on, the Tibbs moved here. Okay. And they were related to the uh, Redricks who lived on the center. But those weren't, we, see, we were all separated, mm -hmm. so we didn't associate. <laughs> and then uh, my uncle was a cook in the girls' dorm, and his friend was the cook in the men's dorm ah. with his wife. <laughs> And brother, uh, but you see, they didn't have any children, uh -huh. so you see, they didn't associate with us. So we didn't see any colored people. Hmm. We call them colored people there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and what was that like as a kid growing up? Well, as a kid, just like kids. Uh huh. You're, you're different. You mm -hmm. call your names, but you see, you can play with them. My my mother didn't lost out of the yard. Really? Mm -mm, you don't play with those people. Hmm. So they called your name, so what? Did hurt you, did it? So your mom was tough. <laughs> she was a tough lady. Uh, in that, she taught us there's nobody born better than you. Hmm. They may have more money, they may have more clothes, they may be beautiful, they may live in a better house. But remember, no one, no one, not even the friend of the United States is better than you. Especially not now. <laughs> well, you know, I was, I was her man. You know, well, insist, you know, just remember that. Uh-huh. So, so if, so they're not, they must not be very good. They're not better than you. Mm -hmm. And we, we had an ice cream place here run by uh, two Greeks. Hmm. We weren't allowed in there. No black person come in here. Really? But, because my brother was cleaned up, he, when he came home from work, nine o'clock in the evening, he'd always bring mama a, a dish of ice cream. Uh -huh. <laughs> I don't know how he did it, but he did Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, we don't talk about segregation as much in northern states. And Jim well, Crow have, laws and things like that, but it still existed here. Oh, lots, yeah. lots, even here. Yeah. But, you know, it was just, it was a struggle. Uh -huh. It was a struggle. How aware were you of the history of of slavery and particularly in your family when you were growing up? My mother talked about everything that went on. She told us. Uh huh. And uh, my grandfather, who was a runaway slave. He was sent to New Orleans when he was 14 because that was the, he was a big boy uh -huh. and he could work. And uh, he was sold. The first plantation he was sold to was Algiers. Uh, this, is, this is the story my mother tells me. Okay. Now, I have some relatives in California have some different stories. <laughs> <laughs> so in, anyway, uh, he was sold to this plantation in Algiers. And the overseer was very mean, and so he didn't want a kid who cried all the time. 
and, and so he was mean to my grandfather. And so my grandfather decided, I'm going to get sick. So he drank swamp water, ate fat meat, and put tobacco juice in his eyes. Mm. So he was blind. So they sent him back to New Orleans. And this time he was sold to a plantation in Mississippi. And the overseer was very nice. And he, I guess he realized that my grandfather was young and a kid anyway. He let him run away. And so when he got back to Arkansas, his brother, whose name was George, had been made a free slave. So he took his brother's name and ran away. <laughs> so that's how he came so. Uh -huh. That's my mother's story. Yeah, it's a remarkable story. Yeah, that's what she talked to us about. Uh -huh. Me mostly. Yeah. Because my, my brother was small uh -huh. and younger. So, what was it like going to Grinnell College? Well, Grinnell College, they were wonderful because they knew I had no money. <laughs> I had, I stayed an extra half year at Grinnell High School okay. uh, to take a special secretarial course. And then when I went to college, then I worked, they gave me a job and with Harvey Newland-Hop. Uh -huh. he, he was, the two of us were in the duplicating, and later on I was, uh, helped the uh, education professor, yeah. and I know he saw, do you know if I had, it was real cold or too much, so what he asked me to stay at the house with he and his wife, so uh -huh. I didn't have to walk all the way from home. Hmm. And you studied psychology yeah. and economics at, yeah. at Grinnell. What were the courses like, and what was... What was campus life like? Oh, I thought campus life was wonderful because I was associated with Reed. That uh -huh. was the women's dorm. Yep. And every all their activities I participated in. And uh, then um, the botany professor's wife had the uh, campfire girls, so I belonged to the campfire girls. <laughs> and Grinnell College had always been associated with us because the students came to what was called the Uncle Sam's Club, and that was for underprivileged children mm -hmm. who didn't have this and that. And they, so they did games and they did a, On Sunday afternoon, we went to Uncle Sam's Club. Mm -hmm. So we would always been associated. And if they have a concert, they take the children up there uh -huh. to the concert. So you see, we were always a part of the college. Yeah. It was just another home. Uh -huh. and, you know, when you get used to people shunning you, you don't pay any attention to it. Hmm. Well, I did. Other people did. Other people But did. They, they said, oh, don't you? I said, I didn't hear Which I didn't, because I wasn't paying attention. Uh -huh. And I didn't care. Because they were well, I'm running anyway. <laughs> right. Let them say what it is. And I want this. And what I wanted was more important did you end up making some good friends during oh, yes. your time at the college? Oh, yes. The uh, two girls that came from the northern part of Iowa, uh, one of them died early, but she had been a um, uh, minister's daughter, and the other was a farmer's daughter, and they, they were both wonderful friends. Uh, through all, they, because 
Neither one of them stayed at Garnell after the first year. Mm. So one moved to Blairsburg, the other one moved to Inland, I mean, Charles City. So you were the first African-American woman to graduate from Grinnell, the, the Jackie Robinson of Grinnell before Jackie Robinson was Jackie Robinson, <laughs> or maybe more aptly, Jackie Robinson was the, the Edith Renfro Smith of Major League Baseball. Uh-huh. Um, he was. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, it's remarkable to think about how your family went from your your great grandmother being a slave, and That's then right. just two generations later, you got a family full of college graduates. Mm-hmm. It's it's remarkable. Well, I think it's in, somewhere in genes. Uh, you have a person who instills a goal mm. in the individual. I think I, I that's the only thing I can think about that made the difference because that was the only thing we ever heard. Uh-huh. Get an education. Yeah. And she was so sorry that she had to stop school. It see that meant so much to her. And I know when I when I was in grammar school, she saw uh, one of my geography textbooks. She saw these beautiful pictures. She said, "Oh, if I had only had pictures like that mm-hmm. when I went to school." For many college graduates and Grinnell people that I talk to, it's hard for them to put into words how their time at Grinnell shaped who they are as a person because if. Like me, they don't have enough perspective because they only graduated a couple of years ago. But if anybody has enough perspective, I think it's you. Uh, so how do you understand kind of the lasting impact that Grinnell, both the college and growing up in the town, has well, had on you? one of the things about Grinnell, they had so many people who were interested in me as an individual. Because hmm. I'm Mrs. Needham. Uh, I, and that winter, it was 26 below, and she had an old fur jacket that was falling to pieces. She said, here, take this to the dressmaker and see if she can't make you a warm coat. So she, she was interested in the fact that I was walking back and forth to school. She wanted to make her contribution mm-hmm. to my being able to continue to go to school. And... There was another family, the Gallagher's. They just had boys. And Mrs. Gallagher, and they see the Congregational Church was right here. And my mother always did the communion for them. And you see all those people in the church. Mm-hmm. And we had people who didn't like us, but that makes a difference when you have people who really see you. See, so many people, they don't see you. They say, oh, oh did you see? I didn't see her. Right there, but they didn't see me. Because mm-hmm. they weren't looking. But you see, so many of the people in Grinnell, they saw me as an individual. Those are the Renfro children. Help them. Mm-hmm. That's what I think. So, yeah. So that, that's, that's my philosophy. There you go. So after you graduated, you moved to Chicago. Mm-hmm. See, there were 12 graduates who went to Chicago because in 1937, no money and no jobs. Yeah. And so they let us go. And I got a job at the YWCA. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, see, the first job was $75 a month. Oh, that was a lot of money. <laughs> but of that, the Women's Association at Grinnell College had paid for my graduation. I couldn't pay for it. They had uh-huh. money. They paid for it. So they told me, 
when I had a job, paid back the money. Uh -huh. So, of the 75, I paid 25 to, to Grinnell College uh -huh. to pay for my graduation. So you see, all the people that were interested in me, yeah. I will help her. <laughs> she she wants to graduate, so we help yeah. her. So you see, this I think that you can't say I did it. Mm. It was because these people said she wants to let's help her. Mm -hmm. let's help. Yeah, it takes yeah, it this, takes a village. It does. And that's just right. It takes a village. So you you went on to teach in Chicago public mm -hmm. schools for 20 years, and we'll talk about that a little mm -hmm. bit. But in that role, and just in general in your life, I imagine you've probably become a mentor for other people. Well. <laughs> and so how do you, because it took a lot of mentors for you to get to where yeah. you were. So how do you well, think about uh, your role? One of, uh, um, well, you know, I talk about Grinnell all the time. Because <laughs> Grinnell is just up here. Uh -huh. <laughs> Always has been. So, I think that's one reason was Herbie Hancock came here, mm -hmm. Samantha Massagill came here because of the things I said about Grinnell. So you've had an, an influence on, on Grinnellians that came past? Well, I think so. And my daughter and Herbie, we lived across the street from each other. Really? And both of them were about three, and they had, you know, little windows. And, and in the morning, they get their fingers off to pick each other across the street. So our families were friends. Wow. So as a school teacher in Chicago, what were the biggest challenges that you faced? It's, the biggest challenges was trying to teach the children you were kind to each other. Hmm. You don't talk about each other, and you don't jump on things that are unimportant. You know, they had such a silly idea about, oh, she said something about my mother. I said, did she know your mother? No. Well, that's what they worried about. <laughs> and then, they, you know, children have to learn to think. And you see, it's not big things that happen to kids. It's the small things. Uh -huh. And so, they don't necessarily... They don't teach you when you're becoming a teacher how to necessarily deal oh, no, with those no. little things. That's something you have to figure and out. You have to think about yourself that this is something that was that they had been taught. You're supposed to get upset. Why are you taught to get upset? That isn't anything to do with you. Uh -huh. That's somebody just is talking. So you have to think and use your head. And, and you know, that's another thing. I always try to instill on them. Use your head, not theirs. Mm -hmm. Use yours. Think about what you're going to do. Mm -hmm. So, I don't usually talk about the, the age of my guests when I interview them, mm -hmm. but with you, I think it's probably a, a point of pride so we can discuss. It's not a secret. You're 104 years old, mm -hmm. <laughs> and because of your remarkable age, you've been a part of the, the Super Agers Research yes. Study. Mm -hmm. So... I have to ask between you and me. You can you can tell mm -hmm. me your secret about about how you've come to be so sharp at at such an old age. I have no idea. It's just <laughs> that you know, I have always kept doing things, uh -huh. and you know, I always question you if you tell me you can't. Uh -huh. Who said you couldn't? You can't. Oh no, there's, there's no there's such 
it'll try. Now, if you didn't make it when you tried, then but you did try. Right. I know you were. I know in, when you were in college, you were very active. You played a lot of sports. Oh and all yes, that. I loved them. I loved uh-huh. and in high school too, because you know I had intramural sports yeah. here, mm-hmm. and they went to all the little schools. Mm-hmm. And you know, one of the things is, I never was. I never disliked. Now I have a lot of dislikes when it comes to food, <laughs> but things where I could participate, uh-huh. I liked. You liked those. Uh-huh. And I liked, I wanted to be good. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, as, as all kids do. But I know you're not out on the basketball court shooting hoops too much anymore. Oh, no, listen, I don't do anything. They say, you exercise. I said, no. <laughs> listen, when we had calisthenics when we were in high school. Uh-huh. You know that rope that hangs over the top? Yeah. We had to climb up there. You know, know the parallel bars, we had to do that. Yeah. And the hooks. That we So I did all of them. Right. I liked to do it. So now... And you know, so they, oh, I don't like to do that. I don't know. I didn't have that feeling. Uh-huh. When I was in eighth grade, we had to take home ec. Uh-huh. And we were supposed to eat everything that we could. <laughs> Well, I don't eat legumes, <laughs> so I cook beans, and Miss Robinson said, you have to eat. I said, mm-hmm. I don't eat anything I don't like. <laughs> she said, well, you won't get a grain. I said, sorry. <laughs> I was talking with Amy Tan about this as well, that um, she's very aware of her own mortality. She thinks about death. Oh, yeah, she does. Very often. Yeah, Every but day, you see, she, she has so many things wrong. <laughs> Oh, thousands of things. I said, oh, my goodness, how'd you go get all those things? <laughs> she certainly has had a, a, oh. a traumatic life in that oh, respect. Oh, yes. And I mean, uh, she was bitten by a tick. Uh-huh. And she's got that in her blood yeah. system. How do you know? I was, I was in a country, you know, we went all through the woods. Because uh-huh. I was a campfire girl. Yeah. We went out and... No ticks. <laughs> well, if I had one, I don't know. Right. <laughs> but she had one, and they said that's what, did, I don't know, something in her blood. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. So she said because of that, she thinks about her life and, and what matters because mm-hmm. she's often had, she's had experiences where she was either close to death or yeah, sure. a lot of people in her family mm-hmm. did die when she was young. That's what happened in my family. Okay. So many of them died, and so my sister, my cousin, and I—we were both. One, I was about six months older than my cousin, and we all thought we both thought we died at forty-five. Really? Yeah. When did they? When I was forty-five, I said, "I'm not dead yet." <laughs> What's going on? Look around. I, I'm not dead yet. Well, I guess I'll do another forty-five. <laughs> yeah, I might. I might be able to keep going. Uh huh. Um, so what? What are some of the things in your recent years that you've found that that keep you going? Like when you get up in the morning, what are some of the things? I said, some of the activities what am I, that you what want am to I do? going today? What do I want to cook today? Uh-huh. What book am I going to find? Yeah. See, I always there's I always have something I'd like to do. Yeah, and you still keep that that well, yes. positive and you outlook. You know, things that I think you worry about these things. That you have no control over. You don't have any control over whether somebody's going to hit you here and you die, where a car's going to come. You know, I just think of all the awful things that happen to people. You're minding your own business. Mm-hmm. You're gone. Somebody was crazy. That's why you need to pay attention. 
to what you're doing today at this minute. Mm. It's a matter. See, we each of us has a responsibility. We have a responsibility. If I can do something today to make you change and feel better about you and about that person, then I have had a good day. Mm. If I can help you, then I, I have I have spent a rotten day. <laughs> so I I read a lot about Grinnell's history and all the old factories that were oh. here. And, and I sometimes look at the old pictures of like downtown and some of the other places on campus and I see the new buildings that are there now I and think, I think, yeah, what a know, different place. I, yeah, I looked today, we came down in back of ARH. Uh-huh. And you know all that the new building, <laughs> the new yeah. building on the on the east side. Uh-huh. I said, "Oh, I remember all the things that because I used to work for the professor in that building. Yeah. The, the, uh, the theater was in that building, and we gave they gave the students gave a play called the Bad Seed. And, oh, that had so much, we had uh-huh. so much to say about. It. No, it's it's just sad to, that things get." You know, it's just getting bigger and bigger and mm. bigger and bigger. And I think when you get too many people, some of these little ones get lost, drops in the mm. uh-huh. That's what it And see, back then, I knew the professors, I knew their children. Yeah. So, what do you think it would be like if you went to Grinnell now? Oh, I would like it. I would like it. No. Because I, I see, Education meant, meant something else to me other than mm. what they're doing now. No. Uh, and many things that happened many, many, many years ago were important that we're forgetting. Mm-hmm. So you're receiving a, an honorary degree tomorrow. Oh, yes. Which was a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I think? The best degree I would ever get if I found out that when they them on my brain, they found out what was going on. Mm. See that? That's see that's why I think that's great. Yeah, that would be a that yeah. would be a treat. And, when, and you say I won't know about it, uh-huh. but somebody will. And if somebody gets help, that'll be worth anything uh-huh. to know that this made an advancement. Yeah. In their life. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But. I don't know. You keep going at this rate. Nobody's ever going to be able to cut your brain out because you're just going to be <laughs> oh, living. Don't worry about it. Don't worry. Oh, my Bible says you're gone. <laughs> then you know that. As I I said, I was born with a number, and that number's up. I'll be gone. Uh huh. That's all. <laughs> so, what advice do you have for the graduates that will be walking uh, across the stage? For the graduates, I would say, do the best you can each and every. Every day and every minute of it. And don't forget, you as an individual are important. Those are good words. Well, thank you, Edith, for taking the time to talk. To well, it's been an absolute pleasure to meet <laughs> oh, you. Good. And talk with you so, thank you very much. Oh, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Edith Renfro-Smith grew up in Grinnell and graduated from the college in 1937 as the first African-American woman in the college's history to do so. She was honored for her remarkable life this past May at commencement when she received an honorary degree. Check out our website, grinnell.edu podcast, where you can find photos from Edith's childhood in Grinnell, 
a news clipping from her graduation which offers a pretty condescending and racialized account of the family's educational success, and interviews that she did for the Grinnell Magazine in 2007, as well as an interview with our own local historian and professor emeritus Dan Kaiser from the Drake Community Library in 2015. You can also watch her speech from commencement and find other highlights from her life. Edith's life has been remarkable in many ways, and I'm happy the college finally got around to formally recognizing her in that way. But there are other markers of Edith's impact here as well. On campus, we have the Smith Art Gallery in the Rosenfield Center, named in her honor. And the most recent addition, the Edith Renfro Smith Black Women's Library in the Black Cultural Center on campus. I reached out to Rayon Robinson, who started the library and named it in Edith's honor. I'm a recent graduate of class of 2019, an anthropology major, and a future librarian. She's from Algiers, a historically black neighborhood of New Orleans, where, coincidentally, Edith's grandfather was first sold into slavery. I'll let Rayon tell the story of where the idea for the library came from. And as a child, I immediately gravitated towards the power of literature. Once I found a book that I felt reflected myself and my community, I could not stop reading. This is what opened the gateway for me to books that actually had me in mind. I created the Edith Renfro Smith Library because I realized on campus that there was a limit to the amount of Black cultural and intellectual material you could find by Black women authors and scholars. If the class was not specifically geared towards Black women or race or gender, it was really hard to find a book written by a Black woman. I also realized that I only knew about five or six Black women authors. Finally, I was ready to combat the invisibility of Black women on campus and was looking for a way to recreate the well-read Black Girls Book Club, which is a book club of about seven scholars, Black women scholars on campus, that really works to empower um, Black women through literature. So I created this library, I curated the first collection, and I was able to catalog this collection with Burling, and Berlin Library actually committed to purchasing any titles they didn't already have in their collection. And that process really laid the foundation for me into understanding what goes into actually putting a library together. Now, I decided to call, name the library after Edith because I wanted the library to have a very strong name and it could sort of be a symbol for it. I'm hoping that the library continues to expand and to it being a resource for Black women on campus, not only for um, academic purposes, research purposes, but for enjoyment. I want Black and Brown women on campus to feel comfortable to read a book find themselves in that book and then reach for another and not have to feel overwhelmed by constantly searching you know the books are there at the black cultural center and i really hope that people are using it and enjoying it
If you're a current student or alumni visiting campus, you can check out the library at the BCC. Alumni, faculty, and staff have already donated books, either from their own collection or through the library's wish list on Amazon. You can find that link on our website as well. Edith also gave me some great ideas for stories about the Campfire Girls, Uncle Sam's Club, and the Rosenwald Scholars Program. I was also thinking about some stories that I read on Dan Kaiser's blogs, Grinnell Stories and the Ricker Chronicles, about local Grinnell history. There's one about the KKK's presence in Grinnell, and I wanted to mention it. Apparently there was a cross burning on the college golf course in 1923, and the report alleged that a KKK group had met in Grinnell two weeks earlier. Outside of that and a few mentions in local newspapers, there's little evidence to suggest much of a Klan presence in Grinnell, but the cross-burning must have been a shock to many in Grinnell. I was thinking about Edith, who would have been only nine at that time. I didn't get the chance to ask her if she remembered the event, but she most certainly faced racial prejudice throughout her time in Grinnell. Edith remembered that African Americans were not welcome at Candyland, the town's ice cream parlor, and if they went to the movies, they had to sit in the balcony. Economically, most African Americans in town worked low-status, low-paying jobs. As you heard in the interview, Edith has a remarkably positive attitude about dealing with racism. Not surprisingly, she didn't focus too much on it during our conversation, instead focusing on the people who saw her as an individual, and one worthy of their assistance and mentorship. Her positivity probably belies the extent of racism present in Grinnell during her childhood, and even at the college but I can't help but think it's also a contributing factor to how she's lived to 105 years old. I know it's anecdotal because we're talking about one very special woman, but there are many studies that document the negative health effects of racism on its victims, and many focus on the effects of prolonged stress on people's bodies. So perhaps as an antidote to that stress, Edith employed that practical optimism, ignoring bigots and maybe adding years to her life in the process. That's my uninformed medical opinion, and I'm sticking to it. It's either that or her picky eating. But we'll have to wait to see what the team of scientists at Northwestern discover from their study of super-agers. And that's it for this episode. Next time, we're going to go back into Grinnell history even further than Edith Renfro-Smith can remember. We'll talk to Allison Hake about the infamous cyclone of 1882 and the effect it had on Grinnell. We'll be digging into the archives for that one, so we'll also talk with Chris Jones, the college archivist, about his work and what he's learned about the college from the basement of Burling Library. That's next time on All Things Grinnell. Music for today's show comes from Brett Newski and Poddington Bear. If you'd like to contact the show, email us at podcast at grinnell.edu or check out our website, grinnell.edu slash podcast, for more information about the guest from today's show. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. I'm your host, Ben Benversi. Stay young, Grinnellians. <laughs>